0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: Welcome back to Shaken and Stirred. I'm Nigel Barker in Woodstock, in New York, and I'm here with my great friend, Tom Astor, the snapper. How are you, mate?
2: I right, know it's very well, thanks. Yeah, we're hunkering down again. It's getting colder, it's getting windier, it's getting wetter over here in England. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, hunk- we're hunkering down for the winter. That's it.
1: I actually said I'm here with you, but I, I, I meant I'm here with you in this Zoom because that's what we do on these podcasts these days is Zoom around. But you are, of course, in, in Blighty. And actually, here it's the same, the same way. It is cold and wet, raining and gray and very English as well as autumnal. And I, I kind of got inspired to make a, a, a sort of autumnal drink, in fact. What are you drinking?
2: How weird. So did I. I'm drinking a, a bullshot because it's quite late, I missed dinner, and it's a, kind of like a meal, but it could be alcoholic. You've, it generally drink when you're outside hunting in England and it's cold, and you have a hot flask, it's a bullshit, it's beef consomme, and then you can either put sherry in it or vodka in it. Oh my God. I'm not quite
1: sure how disgusting that sounds. Beef cons- consomme, it's basically a beef soup, but just like with just the stock aspect, right? Yeah. It's almost like sort of Bovril warmed up. And then you you pour sherry alcohol in it. It's basically like a haggis, but without the haggis.
2: Yeah, it's delicious. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's like dinner and having a drink at the same time, but it's only sort of one cup. It's it's perfect, it's ideal. It's
1: it's, it's basically sort of space food then, It's very
2: warming, it's very warming. So if you're slightly chilled and you're slightly like you need warming up. It's very good for it to warm you from the inside out because it's hot. I mean, this is a hot, it's like, you know, it's a hot, it's, it's called a bullshot anyway. It's, it's classic English drink, I think. No, it sounds like, you know, bullshit more than a bullshot. But anyway. No, no bullshit. Anyway, you've apparently made yourself an autumnal drink
1: as well. I have. And mine's called The Lookout. So you better look out. And it actually sounds far more tasty than yours. Mine is, and look at it, actually it looks rather delish. Look at that, mate. Right, it's like a coffee. I know, right? So wait a second. It's got two ounces of rum. Four ounces of cider, so it's rum and cider, and it's hot cider. You heat the cider up, um, and it's kind of a mulled cider. I put in a Chinese five spice powder in there, and on top of that, I s- melted down a teaspoon of sherry butter, and, and mixed it all in. And it's hot. so it's hot. It's a warm, warm kind of
2: hot drink. How <laughs> I mean, dare you tell me my drink sounds disgusting? What are you butter, talking about? Vine, uh, rum, and-
1: cider, and butter. butter and spices, my goodness, it's like Thanksgiving in a cup. What are you talking about? Delicious. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Mm. Actually, it's really, really yummy. Um, booze news, a little bit of booze news to get us going. Well, Tom, are you not really a beer drinker, are you? Sort of, you drink a few beers here and there. You're not, are you a big beer drinker?
2: No, it makes It just makes me fat, so I don't drink it. But that's the only reason I don't drink it. But on a really hot day, there is nothing in life that. What do you mean, make fat? A oh, oh, fatter. Sorry, is that better? Yeah, okay, thank you. qualify that <laughs> expression? My God, it gives me. Um, it gives me a thing called a beer belly, which which cannot be removed other than by ceasing to drink beer.
1: Yes, well, I don't drink much beer either. I know what you mean. I mean, I, I you know what I like beer, but it's I drink sort of maybe. Ten beers a year, which is not a lot, right? Clearly, not a lot of beer, but it's you know one of those things where I'm, I'm kind of enjoy a stout more than anything. Mm. So it's, I don't know whether that's really quite, you know I guess it is a form of beer, but I you know like as you, as are you, they're both more cocktail guys than beer guys. But it's interesting. I was doing some research into the sort of beer world, and in large part because I was looking at expensive beers, and I couldn't believe how expensive beers get. In fact, there was a great article in liquor.com, which by the way, if you've never been, visited that website, they do an incredible job. they've done a great article on the sort of expensive beers of the world. But you'd be utterly shocked at just how expensive these beers can get. In fact, one of the beers they're talking about is called the Brew Dog, The End of History. So (laughs) great name, Um, but it's a Scottish brewery that first released this collective beer a decade ago. And back then when they released it, so that you gotta understand the alcohol content of these expensive beers is not your usual kind of thing. This has a 55% proof beer, right? So it's really not a beer in my opinion. I mean, at least it's made in the beer math fashion, but with that kind of alcohol content, it's like drinking a whiskey or something. It's like drinking yeah. a brand. You know, so it's sort of sipping thing, right? But they sold it then for £700 a bottle, or or a pint rather, right? <laughs> Seven, I mean, who's got to, who would have bought it? But apparently they did. But apparently too. That's $1,000 a pint. Right, and this was a decade ago. That's what it went for. Apparently today, if you're able to find and locate, and I guess it came by the bottle at the time, they're now worth $20,000 a bottle. Wow. So, Wow, I mean, I guess it becomes, these things become collector's items. Now, Sam Adams, that we're all very familiar with, such a popular beer in America and Boston Lager is what they're known for more than anything. But they also created a very limited edition sort of artisanal beer, I guess. And they priced it at $210 per bottle. Um, It was called Utopias, again, 28% proof very 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 high double the, the alcohol content of a wine right and it's meant to be sort of have a kind of a sickly syrupy feel with deep multi flavors it sounds actually quite gross now even sapporo did one and theirs went for a hundred bucks a case which is still expensive but not crazy uh, in the la- in the sort of grand scheme of things now, i guess a case i don't know what a case is is it a case six bottle i'm not quite sure another one which is really alcoholic called Schwarzbock 57, which the 57 stands for 57% proof, which again, is that a beer? I mean, I just, it just doesn't sound like one to me, but it's, they marketed it, the German beer, the strongest beer in the world. And- you
2: um, put stuff stuck with this. I mean, you're supposed to mix mixes with this or? of- Well, they're
1: saying that you, you don't glug it. Clearly, you sip it by the ounce. And, and this beer is 300 bucks a bottle. So, and, and sort of finally, Floyd's Dark Lloyd, which is an Indiana brewery which produced this, uh, 150 to 200 bucks for three bottles. And it's a sort of Russian-style imperial stout. You know, it just surprised me at the, the price and what have you and, and what's available. But I'm always curious as to, you know, what's out there, what's what's different and what's not. And any of you guys listening out there, if you know of any interesting beers or, or very sort of unusual alcohols or whiskeys that we should know about, we should try, we should sample, let us know. Let us know on Instagram, on the Shaken and Stirred Show. Tag us, send us a comment, and we'll look into it, and we'll try it, and we'll taste it, and we'll let you know what it's like. And in the meantime, I'm going to try and get a hold of some of these beers and maybe do a little taste test of my own. <laughs> now, our guest today is absolutely fabulous. You might be able to hear her giggling in the background. She's got the most beautiful smile. She's a ray of sunshine, literally. And I met her, what well, sort of met her, watched her perform at the 2018 Hopeland Gala. But more importantly, uh, this brilliant young star, she rocked the role of Eliza Hamilton in the Chicago cast. She's an amazing singer, so- songwriter, actor. She currently is working on an epic pop musical, Jeanette, which she co wrote and composed. Please welcome Ari Afsari. What a beautiful name.
0: Ah, thanks. I'm oh. so excited to be here. Such a
1: pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. Now, you are drinking something which is uh, kind of illegal on this show, really, to be honest with you. It's, it's, uh, it's slightly disappointing right off the cuff, but, you know, luckily because you're so kind of upbeat. And I, and I know, you, you know you enjoy a drink, but what are you drinking, Ari?
0: I was really debating to lie to you today, but uh, I'm drinking sparkling water.
1: Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> oh. Right in- here.
0: Yeah, I was like, I shouldn't lie. I don't want to perpetuate anyway. Uh, so I'm, I came out with the
1: truth. You know what? This is the state of the world these days. People actually debate whether to lie or not. You know what I mean? It's like, like should I just pretend? You know, I, I'm actually not drinking. You know, you know, I've never done that, Ari. Never in my career have I ever faked anything. It's always 100% on. Meanwhile, wow. by the way, I know you are fond of a Moscow mule, are you not?
0: Yes. Yes, I am. But um yeah, as I was preparing for this, I was like, Oh, I actually don't know how to make one. So
2: Can we please? tell you?
0: Yep. Yeah. Ginger I know is involved.
2: It's so really so simple. It's like spiced ginger beer and vodka.
0: That's it. And a lime.
2: And a garnish with a squeeze of lime. You don't even you need a shaker. You just stir it. You don't oh my yeah. God. That's it's it. embarrassing. It's three three if you I mean if you miss the lime out, it's not gonna ruin the drink. <laughs> This place is too ginger beer spicy ginger. I mean, it's cocktail. literally the only oh, okay. cocktail you can order on an airplane, and they spike it and get <laughs>
1: spiked. You time. know
0: why? You know why it's my favorite drink because of that. Because I can consistently, no matter where I go, nobody can screw it up, and so I'm like, this is now my favorite drink.
1: That's a really
2: good idea.
1: There's actually a couple of them, but that's one of them. That's one of them. I, you hear this drink all the time on airplanes. That's why I know. It. I always hear people going, "They sound so fancy." I'll have a Moscow Mule.
2: But actually, it's a really good point because you know you can ask for a Negroni in a in a bar, and it can be absolutely filtered. It's a very good point, actually. Something we should some point in our podcast actually focus on the concept of the dangers of ordering a complicated drink. And Harry, I don't know if you've a Negroni. You can't mess I don't up. know if you've seen Nigel do these instagram things when he starts making drinks in his garden and he makes it i basically start watching and i glaze over after about five seconds because it's like he's gonna remember just pour it in the damn glass stop like worrying about measures and the, you know it so overcomplicates the whole thing you know i think you're right i'm gonna go with that in the future the simple cocktails when you don't know it's gonna be
0: you know and exactly what nigel was saying you still kind of seem fancy it's not like i'm asking for like a you know, whiskey soda. No, I'm asking for a Moscow mule. It has like a nice ring to it. makes I it
1: sorry, really when he does that, he orders, he, he'll, he'll actually come to the show and he'll have basically a vodka soda, but he'll make it, he'll <laughs> call it, he'll have a name for it. That's what he does. He's the ultimate BS artist. And he'll be like, oh no, I'm drinking this, uh, you know, my Meriscourt Tini or something. Yeah, but at least you can't get it anywhere else. And I know it's delicious. Because it's made from his own lemon or something. I don't know. But anyway, look, forget about all of that for a while. I don't mind what you're drinking. We're just delighted to have you. How have you been dealing with quarantine? I know that you were obviously expected to probably be on the road or touring or, you know, working on your Jeanette. I mean, how, what are you doing? How have you been coping?
0: Yeah. You know, in the beginning, I I started to get really down about like, what are, what's the power of art? Am I really doing anything that matters? And so I actually needed to step away from it a little bit. And I actually started a nonprofit um, right when the stay at home order hit called Until We Do It with three other badass women distributing masks to vulnerable communities across the country. And we've sent over 600,000 masks so far. And, you know, what was so interesting. I was like, oh, the arts. No, it's not. It's not essential. And, obviously, and the only reason that we were able to do it and the connections, my personal connections were able to be made was because of the arts. You know, the arts actually connected me to some incredible people. Music allowed me to to work with some incredible brands. And I was like, oh, this is all, it just was like a lesson that I had to learn that um, the arts is really powerful. But it, you know, it took me, it definitely took me through a mental loop of everything being just, as I'm sure you all experience as well, just your entire schedule being like, oh, cleared. Now everything's cleared.
1: Yeah, because that's what Tom and I have been doing. We've been sort of setting up nonprofits to help people during quarantine, haven't we, Tom?
2: Yeah, Nigel's, Nigel's diary was pretty clear before COVID. That's why we came up with this podcast.
1: Yeah, we were, we were just sort of, twi- you know, basically to the drunk at home. And we thought, <laughs> okay, yeah, we should do something, shouldn't we? How about we'll just sit at home and get drunker and call in some friends. Um, and all of a sudden we're doing this show called Shakespeare. And we have all these guests who are sort of, Incredibly virtuous, which is, you know, normally we mute them at that point or something happens and we go to commercial break or something just, to, just a bit too much. But other than helping and solving world, world problems, um, you know, I mean, look, it's amazing. And obviously, joking aside, it is extraordinary what people have done. And this organization is called Until We Do It, right? That's yes. the name of it. Yes. And, yeah. and is that meant to inspire others to get up and go to and sort of to, to sort of help out? How do other people get involved with Until We Do It?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean uh you can go to our website and we do.org, but I, uh the main thing for us is we're not trying to come in to be like let us save you know any of type of that savior mentality. All we're trying to do is connect the dots right. um, of already pre existing grassroots organizations that are doing incredible work that are trusted, municipality that's trusted and in their um community, and then just connect it with brands. Um so Ways in which they can help obviously donate, but um, a bigger thing is like working, figuring out who these local organizations are that have, that are trusted in their communities um, and then brands that are wanting to donate. We've had some like really awesome brands that have stepped up to the plate and donated thousands and thousands of masks, uh, which is really cool.
1: And to what sort of communities are are, are these masks being donated to? Is it just anybody or everybody or (laughs) is it directed to certain specific types of people?
0: Yeah. I mean, primarily uh, black and brown communities who are unsurprisingly disproportionately affected because of the healthcare system. So that is our main focus of of being able to see the communities in which are disproportionately affected. So we've had done a lot in Alabama. We've done a lot in um, indigenous communities in Arizona and New Mexico, a lot in in Florida. Uh, We just sent a, a huge donation out for formerly incarcerated individuals in Florida. So um, trying to get as many um, people who are don't have access uh, to masks in their hands.
1: No, that's amazing! Amazing you should do that. And obviously, you know, everyone out there, yeah, wear masks, please. Because despite what you know the authorities might be doing, you know, we
2: we need to have to be responsible, don't we? We need to wear a mask. We can we also coat. can we name check the companies that stepped up the plate and have have been supported? You know, you know, because. Well, Guess we're allowed to ask you what they're called because you're not, you know, trying to promote anything. So, yes. okay, what sort of companies have got involved? I mean, to yeah. help.
0: Bella Canvas really stepped up to the plate, which was, you know, the number one manufacturing T-shirt company in the country, and then basically shifted to the number one manufacturing mask company in the world. And awesome influencers like Ashley Graham helped make that donation possible and 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 has supported and endorsed us from the very beginning. Also, New Balance has been an awesome sponsor to be able to uh, send send a large amount of masks, and then we've had some really great partnerships with Rent the Runway, um, where Whitney Port gave a lot of donations from her her line through Rent the Runway, and Cosmos up and, and started selling masks and had a portion of the masks go to until we do it a portion of the proceeds. And uh, Reformation also stood up to the stepped up to the plate.
1: Amazing, and all all great people, by the way. I mean, so. Danny Harris, who is the uh, owner of uh, Bella Canvas and also Aloe Yoga is yeah. a good friend of ours and and you know, he's a great guy. So and he's done an amazing job and pivoted incredibly well. And Ashley Graham, of course, as well, who worked on America's Next Top Model after I left. So wonderful. And she's a great, great, great uh, woman and just amazing work that she's done. That's just super yeah. exciting. So very well done. Look, you know, I've read a lot of bios in my time and I've got to say you know, I, I always do this no matter who comes on hand, no matter how well I know them. I always go, you always you know do your bit extra research and you go and check them out, and you check out their websites, and you're looking at all this stuff. Your bio, I've never read a bio like yours. I've <laughs> just no, I mean it was it's just completely different than everyone else, including my own. In fact, I've got to go back now and rewrite mine because I feel like it's absurd now. But everyone else just sort of writes what they've done in their career and their achievements. And and they probably make it sound better than it actually is too, because it's a bio, and they want them to sound like everything was amazing. But your bio is is it's almost like a sort of a witness statement or something. It's sort of, <laughs> it's like a, a completely different thing altogether. It's sort of, you, it's like from the heart, and it's you know. I, I mean, I don't know if I can even read some of it here. I mean, you sort of the way you describe yourself, it's just so humbling so, def- so self-deprecating and honest and sort of fresh i don't know what are you what are you try- hoping yeah. to take away from this
0: getting to know me better right like when you do when you do like the hundred or bios obviously i got to do the things i even realized i did that whole bio which is kind of like it's a word vomit, a diary entry, basically. Right. It's like I did therapy, and then I was like, okay, well, here's how I fucking feel. Uh, but
1: you didn't even I, mention Hamilton or anything. I mean, it's just like, a <laughs> Singer or songwriter. I mean, it's sort of like, it's like you just sort of go off about how you feel. And I was like, I'm like, okay, wow, that this is her bio. I'm like, shit, I'm gonna have to really Google her now. What else has she done? <laughs> it's like, not really easy. Know, I'm like, oh, shit, that's kind here. of bad, right? Like, but... i can like, you know, I'm like, oh.
0: I think I did have someone tell me like, can you just like put some of the things I did think at the bottom, I said like some cool things I've done <laughs> and then just because I'm like, Oh, and I guess people should know like why I'm even talking. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I want people to get to, to know me. You know, I, I struggle with like what lane I'm in a lot. Right. I definitely think like I am the deaf, not nah, I, whatever. I, I really identify as being a multi-hyphen and a lot of people don't know how to categorize me. Like, is she a singer? Is she is a composer? But is she an actor? What is she an activist? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. And so instead of just being like, this is exactly what I am, uh, I felt like the bio, especially that's the way that people are going to, if they know nothing about me, they're going to get to introduce me that way. Versus like, again, if somebody asks for a hundred 100 word bio, I give them like the stereotypical one, but.
1: I would say to everybody, actually, that you, what you've done is the best thing possible. And I, I think it's so incredibly refreshing that uh. it's like, I'm now like, sod all bios from everybody, and they should all be a diatribe of how they are emotionally feeling. Because as a bio, that is basically, you know what, I don't really need to know that you've done this show, done that thing, or, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, it's cool and what have you. But ultimately, that, that who you are as a person is, is really, that that is the sort of like the investigative journalism sort of thing that you mm. need to do to find out about someone. You know, yeah. all the rest of it's kind of out there. That stuff was like, I'm like, whoa, man, I just, I, I, I literally sort of teared up. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, what? You know, I'm going oh, to quote something from you. By the way, Tom, this is actually from her bio, right? This is, this is a quote from her bio. I've been ashamed of who I am for a lot of my life and didn't even know it. I covered myself by going to college, competing in pageants and doing the whole reality show thing. I still don't quite have it figured out, but I'm sure I'm damn closer to feeling comfortable in my skin. Now, that's pretty sort of heavy stuff for just to sort of put out there. For a sentence
0: of a bio. (laughs) Calm down. I'm like, yeah,
1: okay, wow. okay. like I'm like, I need to go and give you a hug now or something. (laughs) Um, Explain, explain what do you expect people to get from that?
0: Yeah, I mean, because I think this is the main thing, right? Like, what are the things? Tell me about yourself. What they want to know is what are the resume fillers, right? And so the first resume is I was on American Idol when I was sixteen. I was top ten at Miss America when I was eighteen. And then most recently I was Eliza and Hamilton. So those are like the three pivotal points. And I think the reality that I came all of those three amazing resume boosters came with a lot of baggage. Though so I feel like with every accomplishment also comes with a lot of Trauma is a dramatic word. Trauma is not the right word. but so, so baggage. And I think that when I was super young, you just reach for every accomplishment. You're like, then I'm going to feel this way. And then when I get this accomplishment, I will have it all figured out. And once I started getting these cool resume boosters, I realized that couldn't be further from the truth. Now, I lo- I'm so grateful that this is no like, shade on any of the things that I've accomplished. Like I'm super grateful for those experiences. But they also came with a lot of shit associated with it.
1: No doubt. That being said, we've had a few pageant winners on this show. Before. It always looks quite traumatic, to be honest with you. I mean, was that a traumatic thing to go through, the whole pageant thing?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Like Trauma seems... I don't want to use that word flippantly. I think it may be too much of a word, but...
1: You don't seem like a pageant type of person to me. You don't really... <laughs> like, our, like our previous sort of beauty queens that we've had on, which have been amazing, by the way, but you don't sort of strike me as like in the same ilk as them.
0: I think I had to go you know I, I'm a I'm a huge activist and fighting all of my art is associated with you know women empowerment and equitable spaces and creating that in every in, a, in every way and I and I think that part of the reason that brought me to that was because I competed in pageants so I was 18 when I did it so I was super young I went on national television as an 18 year old in a two-piece bikini you know like that wow, to get scholarship money for college
2: yeah it's just like
0: I kind of like fucked up <laughs>
2: Can I take you back to something you said earlier? You were talking about your pivotal moments. The one thing you did mention earlier that got kind of lost in the conversation was you mentioned therapy. Now, has that been a pivotal thing for you in the sense that you said it in, in relation to having therapy, in relation to your bio and actually being able to talk about how you feel and actually, what, you know, how you're doing? How, how did you get into that? Um, no, I,
0: you know what I, I said a little flippantly. I I haven't had consistent therapy my whole life, even though that is something that I want to prioritize. Especially now, I've actually tried to make some steps in making it more consistent. But with my current health insurance and getting some great therapists, as a young woman of color, is very difficult. I've had some therapy sessions that have been I will use the word traumatizing. Uh, so, but I do think so. So I, I said it flippantly. It's not like I, I have it, Unfortunately, it's not a part of my my consistent life. But I do think the way that songwriting has been, and and no way, shape, or form am I going to say that this is a substitute, but I always talk about how songwriting I think is the most vulnerable thing anyone can do in their entire life. And so to have that hugely a part of my life since I was 16 years old, I think it's been a way in which I'm able to communicate on a more of an emotional, uh, vulnerability forward type of communication skill.
1: And going back to your bio again, because it's just one of those things where I mentioned it earlier. But I, you describe yourself as biracial, mm-hmm. proud Bangladeshi, and a proud American. Yeah. That order, by the way. Yeah. Right. So.
2: Oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: Is it? I'm just you know, is it necessary to break down your heritage like that? I mean, is it? And I and I'm biracial, right? So I totally get it, and I, I'm. Yeah. Sure. Sri Lankan and... Um, and always
2: breaking down. He's always breaking down. He just did it just though.
1: No, absolutely. And I, But I'm curious as to why other people do it, right? Everyone mm-hmm. has their own reasons and, and, and Americans do it much far less. They just don't. It's a, it's a sort of, a, if you want, it's a wash of whatever you are, colour you are, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So I'm just curious as to, you know, your breakdown and, and where...
0: Because that. I feel like a fraud in either one.
1: Yeah. So- I do. Explain that because I I actually completely know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'd love to hear your, and I think everyone is is interested. What do you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's just even right before this, I'm in a Bangla class at UC UC Berkeley, and it's completely above my knowledge. Um, I've been trying to learn Bangla, which is the native language of Bangladesh and my dad's native tongue, and I think. You know, it's interesting. I was actually trying to explain it to my dad because I'm very passionate about understanding my Bangladeshi roots a lot more by learning the language and learning the culture and learning some dances and all this stuff. And, and my dad was like trying to talk to me. He's like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Like it's, it's not going with all of your path. Like this seems very random. And I said, I, I grew up people always telling me I was brown and identifying me as, you know, especially in theater and acting and all this, like you can play the brown role. You can play the brown role. And like, obviously things are changing and different, but especially in the nineties, that was just, any brown role in a show, that's what you do. Any, I hung up with the brown kids, all the stuff. And I feel like I don't know my heritage enough to even claim my brownness. And, and I think that that has been a struggle for me of claiming it, but not really identifying, being biracial, growing up in two very opposite cultures under one household. But then at the same time, this is kind of going on a tangent, the acceptance that was built in my family. And, and Nigel, I don't know if you relate to that, but like, because my parents had to essentially let go of their upbringings in order to come together. You know, my mom was Protestant. My dad was Muslim and come together to raise me. It was actually so accepting, but then also comes with a lot of other baggage. And so I, I think that the fraud element is, is always being othered in this country, but not feeling like I can own my otherness in a a very authentic way. Always.
1: Do you think that it's, you know, obviously to being American means being white then. Because I mean, obviously, clearly it isn't, right? And, right. you know, and, and. Well, you know the, the big fear of, of, of you know, the sort of the white supremacists, if you like, and a and, and lot of other people too, probably, is the fact that in 50 years' time, they will be the minority, maybe even mm-hmm. sooner, and that mm-hmm. actually brown will be the color of an mm-hmm. American, right? One way or another, it'll be a light brown. And so, you know, the, or, or some kind of brown, right? So the, the fact that being brown doesn't, I, you don't identify as being an American, but yeah. actually, you
2: very much are, you know, it's right. there's something wrong with that. We could fast forward. It'd be so much easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, we yeah, just, right. I mean, <laughs> it would just be like, this. how do we, how does it, how do we just fast forward on, yeah. I mean, this really... No, I hate, I hate. I mean,
1: it, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, as I said, my mum's Sri Lankan, my father's English-Irish, and he's a redheaded English, uh, Irishman, Englishman, and I came out sort of, Light brown. My, I have a brother who's much darker than me and looks very sort of Sri Lankan. And I've got I have a sister who was a redhead, right? And she was pale, pale, right? She, mm. uh, she had a complete identity crisis. Opposite way. She all her life wanted to be Sri Lankan. She learned yeah. Sri Lankan. She could speak it. She went to live there. She married a Sri Lankan man. She dressed in saris, and the wow. Sri Lankan used to laugh at her, be like, "What is this white woman doing?" And uh, ironically, I grew up. Wanting to be white because all my life I was asked where I was from. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it was this weird kind of, and actually, the reason why I ended up in New York, long story short, was because this literally was the first place where I went where no one actually said to me, Where are you from? <laughs> they just heard my voice and assumed I was English. Right. So, right, right. You know, so I, I understand what you're saying. And it's very just, for me, it's just always very curious because you're a different generation. Like I'm mm-hmm. almost 50, and I grew up in the 70s when it was first, we were some of the first biracial kids out there. Yeah. But so you're, way down the line. And what you're telling me is that still you have this identity crisis.
0: I mean, and this is where it's, it's so interesting that you said, because I'm the only one of my age that I truly know from that is South Asian, that is biracial. Like I remember I went to Indian Student Union at UCLA my freshman year and I I wanted to join the club and they immediately, somehow it got out. Cause I think, I don't know, depending on situations, most people just assume that I am Brown of South Asian of certain Thing and, and don't necessarily think I'm biracial, but somehow got out that I was biracial. And then they put me to the front of the class and like pointed at me, like, this girl is biracial. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> and I left and never came back. And it was because I was actually talking to my friend about it recently. And he was like, you're the only biracial kid that I have ever met. You're we the first biracial kid I'd ever met of South Asian descendant. And so that's where it was like, I seen now the next generation. I'm like, oh, well, they're going to have it so much easier because now everyone's biracial. But in, in, in my situation, it didn't feel like that as much.
1: It's interesting. Do you think it is something to do with the Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, that this particular part of the subcontinent, that they, they just don't mix like other people? I mean, because you're right. It is. That's the thing is that, you know, they you know other sort of perhaps other countries, other places perhaps blend more, do more. Of that For example, there's lots of Chinese, half Chinese, half white children it's like mm. of them. in fact my wife is half chinese half uh, irish russian right and she has the entire of that generation all her cousins are all half half so oh, she knows like sort of 30 of them right yeah and yet there's something about the indian community where it's almost like we're here but we're not really assimilating we we do i have our little communities and we have our little thing but we don't like do we don't marry the white person you know we, oh. we and they they keep to themselves. They work hard. They have the American dream, but they don't really, you know, marry into mm. the American life in its way. They sort of. So that's perhaps what I'm just listening to you and thinking oh, myself. I'm wondering too, like you know, sort of going through my mind. Because again, you don't come across it very often, and and I certainly don't. I I too, I don't actually come across many biracial people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's because of the 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act, where it allowed basically Asian people to come over to this country much more easily, and it got rid of the racist policy that happened before. But that also was affecting East Asian, not just South Asian, obviously. So, so that's interesting. That's what I would guess it would be, was because of that law. And then most people then started to come over and to the U.S. This is my American lens, but then, yeah, there's a lot of, like, other East Asian uh, biracial kids. I don't know.
1: And what is that- also does, like, the, ba- the Bangladeshi community? Does that part of the community, do they respect what you're doing as far as the singing and the dancing and the acting and the performing and the pageants and all that kind of thing?
0: <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So my dad was the first uh, of his family to emigrate
1: right.
2: to the
0: U.S. And then I grew up with, like, my cousins and my aunties like, and uncles, like, living with us. is like. Uh, my my parents started to sponsor uh, family members to come over anyway so I was I think it was yeah I was at my auntie and uncle place in New York recently like in the last like year or so and I was talking about Hamilton so my my cousin got married and they were introducing me to other people and they said I was a bio major I was a bio major for two years and then I switched to music so that's not true but I was like "Mm, no I wasn't I was a music major and they're like oh okay Okay. Okay. And then I was like, well, I was in Hamilton, trying to, trying to impress them, trying to just like do that, whatever. Nobody knows what Hamilton is. And the one thing though, is everybody knew that I was Miss California. Like when I won Miss California, like in the big Haka, like newspaper, like Bangladeshi girl to win Miss California. So they're like, "Wow, well she was Miss. So like, even still like the Miss California thing is like, which is just so in my mind, so ironic because it's, you know, a predominantly Muslim country. And so like for pageants, it like doesn't, doesn't compute in my head, but that's what, that's what they seem to, all my auntie and uncles like is my pageant.
1: Well, well those are the stereotypes, right? But they, they, you know, they, they sort of come through. I mean, it's the same thing with me. My parents wanted me to be a doctor, right? They were like, oh no, you must, do do- you must become a doctor. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, like I don't want to be a doctor, mom. And then, like, oh, we don't have a doctor in the family. Yeah, you know, I'm like, well, I know, but mum, I'm not really interested in becoming a doctor. But it's, it was this sort of, you know, oh no, we need a doctor, an accountant, a lawyer, and, right, you know, right, and right, right. not the sort of a model or a singer, or right. certainly not to be. unless to your point you know, you were in a pageant where you were 18 years old and, be, you know, were in a bikini, a two-piece bikini, with a predominantly Muslim country, you, you'd think that they would be... Right. Th- that's what I was wondering, too. I was wondering, did they freak out about that sort of thing? But they were it.
0: I guess I, I still don't really... I still I mean, because my whole family is Muslim. I still don't really get why that's, like, the thing that people cling on to. And I'm like, wouldn't... No, I mean, like, when I go to the village, I have to wear a hijab the whole time. So, like, I'm really... Con- okay, I, I don't quite understand it. And that's clearly, like, my... My whiteness—that uh, I don't understand it.
2: Sorry, that's just super confusing. <laughs> when, when all your family, the, well, they all know the pageant of the two-piece bikini. But when you get when you go back home, you have got to wear his out That yeah, I, I mean, I just, it's
0: not like the bikini picture is the one that's shown, no, obviously. No, 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 no.
2: <laughs> but still, but it's still actually when I googled you,
1: that did not come up. FYI.
0: It's because it's Ari.
1: Okay, there you go. I have Ariana been...
0: is what it is. So that's that's part of the reason also why I went by Ari.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I see. You changed your name to hide
2: the pictures. You now know, people, what to Google. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I you know, angel, unfortunately, doesn't have the power of the internet like you do. And I remember being about, I think, about 16 or 17 at Heathrow Airport. And I was going on a, I was going on a holiday with my parents. And my mother started... Was, said to me, do you need, you know, do you need You got enough socks and underpants and that kind of thing? And I was going, oh, for good, sake, oh, you will know, probably, yeah. And she went let's go and get some. Anyway, we went over to the sort of underpants, you know, little booth that sells sort of, you know, because I forgot to pack my underwear. And she suddenly started of shrieking. And there on the on the sort of the boxes of lines of boxes of sort of jockey wife runs was Nigel in a pair of, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. I'm going from this California with the two-piece bikini to a pair of jockeys at Heathrow Airport. That's right. Keeping it real, man. Right, right <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It just something suddenly, suddenly popped in my head. But, That's anyway. Anyway. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, they're still out there. Apparently, he was talking earlier. We were talking the, before he came on. We were discussing. He was doing a segment on very expensive beer. And you know how these things—you know how things kind of—if you hang on to it for long enough, they go up. I'm just wondering if anyone out there has still got the box with knives with his jockeys on, and whether it's worth more now than it was. Yes, there. post I have it, to... post oh. it, and tag.
1: Exactly. I'll have you know, Tom, that, that the underwear once I've worn them are worth even more. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> 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 hey, <laughs> Moving swiftly on, um, <laughs> you had a stint on American Idol. Now, I know it was just a, a moment, but you mentioned it too in your in your bio as well. You talk about how you, know, you did a bit of a reality show. You were doing sort of, you're trying to do all the things that you're told to do that are trying to help your career. Did mm. it help your career, I guess is the point.
0: No, but uh, I was a senior in high school. <laughs> so it, the one benefit of it, I mean, there are many benefits. I learned so much about myself. The The biggest benefit was that they kept talking about song choice, song choice, song choice, and they didn't like the song choice that I sang at the end and blah, blah, blah. blah, And I cried on national television and they replayed it and I was in high school and it was way too emotional for me. But a lot of the times, um, I do a lot of things out of spite. That's like one of the biggest instigators for me to create and to keep going. And so I was like, you know, fuck this! Like they're talking about song choice. I just want to write my own songs, and that is how—that's the impetus for me. Songwriting was when they said they kept—they hated my songs. So I was like, okay, fine. Then I'm just going to write my own songs and not sing other people's songs. So that was a great benefit that I got from American
1: Idol. Well, well, why not? That sounds like a great benefit, actually. I mean, you know, the fact that you discovered something about yourself and yeah, but that's interesting that you would. And those sort of weird little silver linings to something like that, because obviously the reality show world, and you know, obviously having been in it for as long as I have. Yeah. There are some girls that some of the contestants, and they were all girls on my, on my show would, would, the winners didn't always win, right? It was mm. often when I, what I mean by that is the people that were able to take something from the experience, channel it. And oftentimes it was the people that were knocked out in the middle, the uh, beginning, but it was just the whole process. And they, they were the fighters who kind of picked up the bits that they needed and, and learned from it and, and so went on to succeed. And actually, if you look at all the, the top model winners, really, or the people who succeeded from top model, pretty much only about 20% of the winners went on to do well. Mm. But, about, but a large proportion of all the successful people were the ones who didn't win. You know, right, It's right, right, quite, right. quite interesting. It's sort of a, you know, what does it mean to win? What does it mean to do something Totally. Like and I think that, yeah. course, to your point, you know, is sort of interesting. So then, okay, okay, so I, I wanted to ask you about your childhood. Before I go on to Hamilton and what have you, I just wanted to know a little bit more about you growing up as, as a kid and the process of becoming a musician. You talked about, you know, becoming, doing this sort of uh, medical major or bio major or whatever <laughs> it was, but you, you're, obviously there was an inner musician inside of you. Yeah. Did, who nurtured that? Where did that come from? Mm,
0: my mom nurtured it for sure. She's been always super supportive. The first time I really sang, I was at a karaoke restaurant with my parents when I was seven years old. And it was the first and the last time I've ever heard my, my parents sing. And I sang as a seven year old, My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Like so drama, oh my God, like viral. Um, very dramatic, but then my parents were like, oh, I guess we should like put her in something. And so then that's when I was in musical theater when I was really young and and continued with that. You know, and and this is also another benefit of American Idol. Uh, uh, Every school that I applied to besides UCLA was for biology. And then for just some reason, I was like, I want to do UCLA. I changed my major so many times, but there was part of me that wanted to do music and then part of me that wanted to do biology. And American Idol was the impetus for for doing the musical theater application. And I was like, oh, I actually really, really want to do this, even though half of my brain was telling me to do biology. And here's also the reality. Like, I still freaking struggle with it. Like, it's not like, yeah, now I am, I, this is me, and everything that I am. Like, I'm still, I'm like, I, I always joke that, like, the South Asian, like, childhood incepted my brain, where I'm like, do I really want this? I want something else, and I don't know. So I think I struggle with that, but I, I'm all, I am grateful. To have a lot of different types of interests because I think that only betters my art as well. But, but I still struggle with it.
1: Now, you're, you're speaking to Tom, who's never worked in his life, and, and me, who doesn't know what he's doing anyway and does take <laughs> pictures for a living, for God's sakes. So, you know what I mean? It's, we, we get it. We understand. Yeah. yeah we yeah. Yeah. totally sympathize. I think we're both, you know, we're sort of we're
2: working with each other and going, no, do you want another drink? No, we're working. i got going to contradict you on this. We're working now. This is, we're working. Well, it's enormous fun, but we are still working. My biggest yeah. problem is that my drink
1: is almost empty and I'm <laughs> a little concerned. I'm sort of getting, it I'm slightly freaking out. Are you shaken or stirred this holiday? Well, Pernod Ricard has an answer for both. So give the gift of spirit this holiday season. Pernod Ricard offers the largest portfolio of the finest gift offerings with iconic brands such as Redbreast, Martel, Avion, GH Mum, the Glenlivet, absolute, and many more. Go to wwwpernoricarusacom slash gifting and use code NIGEL20 at checkout for 20% off your order at checkout. That's N-I-G-E-L E L two zero at checkout for 20% off your order. Talk to us now. Obviously, Hamilton was a, was a bit of a moment for you. Yeah. Eliza Hamilton, the Chicago Hamilton, which is amazing, by the way. And and I have a great friend of mine, uh, Pamela DeVos, who's been on the show, Pamela Roman, the fashion designer. Uh, and she's must have watched you I think she's been like five or six times.
2: <laughs> so wow. uh, it's
1: like, it like a mega fan, like a, like a serious serious fan. And she was rather excited and what have you. Tell us about that experience and, and what did that do for you too? I mean, was that a complete game changer?
0: Absolutely. It was the best one of the best experiences. And, and, and being, uh, being a part of a revolutionary show too, right? Like, so we were the second company. And so I was the second person to ever play the role. And before it really became like, I, I entered the show before the Tonys happened. And so to be a part, of course, I wasn't part of the, imp- uh, the creation of it, but being at that, the growth stage was absolutely amazing. And I, But I will say, and I, I was actually, you know, the fabulous producer, Jeffrey Seller. I had a conversation with him recently about Jeanette the musical, which I'll go into. But I, I, I told him, I said, like, the best part of Hamilton is it lit a fire in me that I never realized was there. I didn't know that was there. And it completely changed the way I saw my art, completely changed the way and the power and responsibility that art holds that I never had the privilege of, of having before. And Hamilton gave me that sense of privilege and responsibility and, and fire in me that I am eternally grateful for.
1: It's funny. I can, you can see the fire in by the way. And I can hear it. I can see it. I can, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's doesn't, you know, not everyone has that. You don't, you, you absolutely feel to me that there's like, I, you have so much to do
2: Mm. and I see it.
1: I see it in you. Like some people are like, sit back and you're like, oh, I've done a lot, or oh, I don't know what to do next, or I might try this. But with you, it's like, I'm like, oh, my God, where, we, where should we point
2: her? You know? and, and just, <laughs> she just, doesn't know. No, she was just saying. She was just saying. She still doesn't know. She's not quite sure. Yeah, and then, exactly. it doesn't really matter. Just well, it doesn't matter.
1: Need to just give it the direction. But you found a bit of a direction. I mean, this, you mentioned these sort of political performances. You currently are a composer and co-writer of Jeanette. Jeanette Rankin, this extraordinary story. So tell us about that now.
0: Yeah, and, and so, so, and this is where it's like I, I definitely connect the dots. Hamilton, we opened our show uh, a month before the 2016 election. And so I had this amazing platform through Being Eliza that I got really involved with a lot of different organizations such as the ACLU, the Women's March, United States of Women. And honestly, I like selfishly just needed to surround myself with badass women for my own sanity. And so I did that, and I got to be in the likeness of Tina Shen, who spoke at my goodbye Chicago dinner, you know, just, like, sobbing. And and then I started to question and being surrounded by these badass, and I'm like, okay, how can we grow a movement if we don't know who our forefathers are? And so I just did a, a Google search of who was the first woman elected into Congress, because that was the first question that came into my brain. Found it, it was Jeanette Rankin. Found out she was elected four years before the ratification of the 19th Amendment, giving white women the right to vote. Found out that she was a queer woman. Found out that there has not been another... Congress, female Congress member from Montana. She's from Montana since her. I mean, and she voted no on both of the wars. I mean, like, her story is just like fucking crazy. And I was immediately felt a sense of shame. I'm like, how do I not know this woman? I asked all my friends, no one had heard of her. And then I realized that's a problem. Um, why, it,
1: why, why does no one know? Because you're completely right. Because FYI, and I, I you know, don't know if you know this or, or not, but if in your research, you might have discovered that Nancy Astor was the first female politician in England, and that's Tom's great grandmother, right? So we've got a bit of a provenance right on here. What? Uh, yeah, Tom, that's amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the parallel. That's a good parallel, isn't
1: it? Wow.
0: wow.
2: That's your next musical, by the way, Nancy. Nancy.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> the cool. cameo with Tom.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so cool. Holy! Yeah, shit. she was the
2: first. She was the first woman to take a seat in the, P- the House of Parliament in England.
0: Wow. And in,
2: in, there's an Irish woman. Bot was elected an MP first, but she refused to take a seat for political reasons. But she was, yeah, my great grandmother was the first woman, and she was from Virginia. And and was really feisty, quite short, Virginian. So, this American woman in English Parliament in whatever it was, God, 19, whatever, 10. I mean, it was, you know, it was, was, yeah, it was quite terrifying for everybody, I think.
0: Wow.
2: But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you. That's so
0: cool, uh, though, Tom. That's so cool. You got to put that in your, your in your bio.
2: Yeah. First I'm thing not. you say. <laughs> um, as I've said, I've, I, I don't. I kind of. It's
1: it's written all over, and, all over, and you know, it, everyone in England knows. First of all, you grow up. Oh, really?
2: Everyone knows. So that's
1: my point. So going back to the question, oh. right, how do people not know about Jeanette Rankin? Because everyone in England, I grew up learning about it. And, you know, using mm. all Winston Churchill's quotes and what have you, and. There's all these crazy quotes between the two of them because Nancy and and Winston didn't get on very well. But this is a piece of history which is not brought up very often. I didn't know about it. I was reading it the first time learning about your musical. So you're actually teaching people with this musical, but how is that possible? In your own research, have you found out why even female politicians don't talk about her?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're starting to see uh, some shift, and there's some, especially since this is the centennial for the 100th year celebration of the 19th Amendment, But no, there are books where she's not listed and it's talking about women in history and and they're written by women. And I I have talked to a few historians just about her life. You know, her queerness was hidden. It took me a year actually to discover that information. I don't know if if necessarily that's why she's attached. This is my own hypothesis, but I am not a historian.
1: Well, when you mentioned that, I hadn't heard that before either, actually. And then when you said that, I'm like, huh, I I wonder if that's why they buried her. You know, like historically.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of other suffrage women that, were queer that that are that's a part of their definition but i think it is again i'm not a historian i think it is though because she voted no on world war ii she was the only congress member to vote no on world war ii and i think that they tried to bury her for it because when she was alive she was hella famous everybody knew who she was obviously like she was super famous ever and and then they just like cut her out from history in terms of telling, um, women's stories. Obviously there's also the reality of like women, political figures, women figures are grotesquely not represented in history books. So that's also a number one problem of just American culture and American history. But I think the second problem of why her in particular, cause you know, Susan B. Anthony, you know, Alice Paul, you've heard of these suffrage women. Um, even if you don't know exactly what they've done, you've heard their names. No one has heard of Jeanette Rankin's name in today's uh, society in america and i think it's because she voted no on world war ii now that's just my humble opinion of doing research on her for three years but again i am not a historian and i'm a composer she was the only person about no on the war and i think a lot of people thought that her her vote h- had a huge message and said something and and but that's a whole different conversation of how we talk about like the U.S. involvement in World War II and what the actual goal is versus the reality of what we did.
1: Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. You know, I was doing some research on Jeanette Rankin and myself because I was, I kind of felt a bit embarrassed that I really didn't know much about her, to be honest with you. Same. Like, this is a bit weird. So I sort of went off on a tangent on Saturday morning, sitting there by myself having a cup of tea with the dog in the fire. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to look into it. And I found all these old documents and old newspaper sort of cuttings and what have you and things that she'd said and what have you. And, one of the things, I just read this little quote that she said, I'm, I'm no lady, I'm a member of Congress, right? Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. this sort of like, I guess she was probably sick of being people calling her a lady or referring to her as a lady as if it was a sort of a belittling. Uh, she All said, right. you know, don't talk to me, as being, tell me I'm a lady. I get it, I'm a, I, yeah. I'm a woman, I'm a member of Congress, so respect me. Yeah. Now, you yourself describe yourself as a bleeding feminist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tom, don't pull that face. What, what do you mean by that?
0: I think feminist also has like a weird negative connoti- connotation. Um, and I think it's from the 70s. And I think that there's a different definition or whatever. There's a different, like. Uh...
1: I looked up. I, I was I Googled bleeding feminist, by the way. So, yes, you're right. There's all kinds <laughs> of definitions. You. If you don't, by the way, everyone out there, don't Google bleeding.
2: <laughs> I did not tell you to do that. Wait, so. wait can we go on the english translation no which is rather nice it bleeding bleeding feminist means um we say ble- it's another word for bloody as in as in a bloody family it's i mean it's a der- it's a derogatory, derogatory term but it's a non-derogatory version of bloody as it were so it's a sort of mm. like if it, I, what i'm saying is i don't know if, if it's where you where your definitions come from you know where it comes from you wrote, yeah. you wrote it. Oh,
1: sorry, we want to know where oh, it's from. Me, like I don't know. What I mean, here's also the
0: reality. I didn't think that much about it. It was a journal entry, essentially. But we're, <laughs> bloody bio, but are, for
1: God's sakes! I'm sorry, bloody bio. There you go. Get it. Use
0: the pun. But yeah,
2: yeah.
0: yeah. I, I, yeah ble- I mean, obviously, now that I'm here, here's also full transparency. You saying it, I was like, oh, I didn't realize it could be interpreted in a different way. <laughs> Just put those dots together in this in this moment.
1: There you go, you can thank me later.
0: I'm like, fuck, I gotta change it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
1: so... You okay, can move on, Jamie.
0: So I don't up. have an answer, other than you caught me.
1: <laughs> no, I love that. It's brilliant. Um, so look, I, tell me about the actual, that like you compose. You're not starring in this. I got it right. wrong. I have immediately thought, assumed that you'd be starring in Jeanette. Because that's just like, you know, what what I would do if I wrote something, I would cast myself as the star. I mean, you know, for God's sakes. But you wrote something, you know, you're young, you're beautiful, you're talented, but you don't cast yourself as the star. You are the composer and the writer.
0: Yeah, I was toying with it for a little bit. This is my baby. And this is like everything that I want to see in the world. And I don't think I'm best for the role. Okay. Well, honestly, I, I think that I would not do the role justice. And I think maybe eventually, we always joke and say like, whenever there's an L.A. production, I'll like do six weeks or something like that. I don't know. But I don't think I'm best to, to do the role. I personally don't think I have the skill sets. I, def- I know I don't have the skill set to be in it and then also like hear it and know how to change it. And I just wanted to make it easier for myself. That's also really, I want the easy option. It's fucking hard to write a musical, dude.
1: Know right. your limits. Yeah. yeah. She just wants to be there bossing everyone
2: else about for once. I mean, that's part yeah, yeah, I
0: also love being on the other side of the table. So that's, that's reality.
2: Well, I'm also suddenly feeling, Nights, no, I don't know about you, I'm suddenly feeling very inadequate. <laughs> I mean, as she said, it's, it's really quite difficult writing and doing a musical. You know? We're sitting there like, yeah, well, you know, try doing a podcast. That's not that easy either. Yeah?
0: It isn't. Look at <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my God, talking to the most, like, two, two of the most accomplished men that I've been, like, giddy to be on this podcast,
2: so... <laughs>
1: uh, very, very, very sweet. Very, very sweet. <laughs> I know. that's, that's We're going we're to open with that. I'm going to ask the producers to pick that piece up and just shove it at the top. Because it takes <laughs> people tune out after, like, the first five minutes. I might actually put it in before you come on, just so that they hear it. Yeah. <laughs> We have, I think you've signed away all your rights anyway. beyond To so we can just take everything out of context and rewrite it anyway. But um, you talk about your art a lot. And w- what are you hoping through your art, your music, your performances like Hamilton and Jeanette, what are you hoping to sort of really do? Are you hoping to move people, change people? It's not just obviously just, you know, let them know. You know, it's not just awareness, is it? It's you're probably hoping something else to happen.
0: Yeah, I believe that the... Only way that we can change policy is to change culture. And I believe that great art changes culture.
1: Yeah, how how, how, do you, how? do you think does that happen?
0: Representation matters when people start seeing themselves. And this is where it's like, I always bring this up. You know, Vice President Joe Biden talked about when he was vice president that the American population didn't take gay marriage seriously until will and grace. And so that's just one sliver of an example of how representation and how art, and that's not a piece of art that's like, clearly has a huge agenda that you would necessarily think as a consumer. But so many varying types of art really has the power to change minds and change perspectives and create community and build bridges. And that's the type of work that I want to be involved in.
2: I hate you. I mean, that was a perfect answer. I ask you a question about what you're doing at the moment is there a and i think i know the answer and we don't try to stay away from politics but you know in england certainly at the moment the arts are really struggling i mm-hmm. mean all these people all these super talented people the government is actually in our country brought out an advert the other day and it was a picture of, of a ballerina sitting there untying her ballet shoes and it, and it said something like well in just 10 weeks susan could become an it consultant you know t- promoting the concept that don't worry about it. If you can't do ballet, don't we have all, we're going to put all this money into IT consulting and all the rest. There's a serious kind of um, lack of understanding of what you were just talking about, the arts, mm-hmm. and how important they are uh, uh, for people and changing perceptions and actually how much good they do in society. And in England, we're not getting enough support for um, yeah. the arts. Is, is, is it the same in America for, for the arts? America? Yeah, I
0: mean, you saw what Ivanka said. I, I don't remember exactly what she said, but she said something like, Just pivot. Just do something else, something along those lines. It's the same right. thing. I mean, it's the sa- same thing, yeah, right? It's and it, so it's so easy. Just go and do it. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. And as we're approaching the end of the year, we don't know if unemployment is going to extend. And, and thankfully, I got a teaching job, yo. Like, I, I got that because I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. And there is no real outlet as, as we look to the future and knowing how, what's going to happen. And there is, b- besides the pandemic, people don't value the arts. And you see in budget cuts, when it comes to our school districts, the arts is the first to go. And I'm bringing it back to my dad, but I was back in Bangladesh late last year. And I was with my dad, like at, in this mall. And when I was talking about these things that I wanted to accomplish, and we're just like talking about my dreams. And, and he said, like, you know, I think the arts has made you see the world differently more than other people, more than other people. And I'm really... I'm going to, pro- he probably didn't say this exactly, but in my brain, you know, selective memory. And I'm really proud of you to be able to see the world in this way. And it like took him so like, you know, again, this, same thing, like, right. Like wanting to be a doctor, wanting to be an engineer and stuff like that. But like, yeah, the, the passion that I have or this fire that you're talking about, like it's hundred percent because of the arts hundred percent. And so how are we going to prioritize it? And this is like, but again, this is before COVID, this is the whole America doesn't appreciate or value the arts.
2: Yeah. And it's only got worse since. So, and you yeah. know, And who's going to be? And, and there are going to be a lot of those people liking those adverts who who are well, unless you're like yourself. I mean, you know, trying to reinvent, just pivoting. I mean, literally been having to pivot because actually there isn't any help. There isn't any right. backup. So right. it's a, I, I mean, I, it'll come back. I, th- I I think in all this, in law, in, things will come back. I think but it's it'll political. weed a lot
0: of people out, though. Like, how long is it going to take? I mean, in this wow. case, you look at the you look at the swine flu. Like Hollywood, in 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 articles that I've read, was like more booming and bustling than ever before mm. after the swine flu. But it's gonna it's gonna weed a lot of people out because mm. you have to be privileged in order to now continue. That's also the reality. How are you going to be able to continue to live without a job, essentially, until we yep. come back?
1: Right. And the arts have always been that they've always been sort of connected with privilege to some extent. And even yeah. if you are an artist, you have to find someone who's wealthy enough to support you or something, some sort of patron or someone who's going to look after you or someone's going to you know pay your bills and you know, look out or whatever. I mean, it's it's a classic story of, of time with yeah. art. Yeah, I definitely feel like I need someone to to Pour me a drink now. Talking about pouring a drink, it's rather easy. Looking like that, Do you see that segue? Do you see that like that? Wow, you're
0: that, a professional. You're a prof- professional. He's not,
2: he's just so alcoholic and he's desperate for a drink. I know because she's written a song oh. that will pour a drink, Tom. All oh, right, sorry. Yeah, know, of course. It's brilliant.
1: No, it suits you. Know, it's, 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 see, I had him, so I had him. This is so easy. Yeah. You, on the other hand, knew where I, was I live in a hole, but no, I, I live in a hole in the, nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. I know. Tom lives under a rock, actually, in a hole. L- under a rock. L- wow, that cool. is
0: a beautiful rock that you live in, Tom.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's like SpongeBob. Have you ever seen it? When the, you know, the guy lives underneath that rock and underneath the whole world?
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Wow. That's, that's quite remarkable.
1: remarkable. Patrick from, from SpongeBob. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, that's what I was going to
0: say. I was like, that wasn't SpongeBob, that was Patrick. Pink, Pink oh,
1: starfish. much like- it, yep. right the same thing, except ginger. Um, but yeah, you know. Well, I live without a TV, so I don't know what you're talking about, luckily, I think. No, no, it's okay. I'm going to actually send you an emoji to Patrick after this. You'll know exactly what I And then he won't be on the next podcast because he'll be sulking. He'll be very upset. But in the meantime, um, Chantal, who helped connect you to us, said that you might sing a few bars. And yeah. I was just like, wow, would she? Really? Would well, you... we, have
0: to, we have to raise our glasses then. Do it. My, my soda water.
2: <laughs> but, um...
0: <coughs> okay. Pour <laughs> a drink to last the night. One more time before goodbye. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. No. Ah, don't. Shit. I forgot my own lyrics. Don't give up. I don't want to stay. I don't want to stay. Don't give up. Okay, that's it. I
2: just made
1: up those lyrics. Shit. (laughs) I love the shit bit in the middle. That is the bit that just took me... I'm surprised, but then all of a sudden I feel like us in a pub. I'm like, oh, oh shit! Oh, hey. yeah. I hope she it's comes. okay that I swear I swear. A lot. <laughs>
2: drink, drink, drink!
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, love it, brilliant. Before we let you go, Ari, we've got something called Last Orders oh, <laughs> on Shaken and Stirred. You've been hilarious, by the way. Uh, it's very, very quick. It's very, very easy, and it starts with, "What's your ultimate dream?" <laughs>
2: Because I want to give you an easy one right off the bat. Yeah, Ari, Ari sorry. He's never, ever asked, asked that question on this show, ever. That is totally... I think this is nearly bullying. No, I'm, I mean? can, <laughs> I'm, can, I, can I mute you, please? Ari, your ultimate dream.
0: But multi-hyphenate ultimate dream. This is going to seem a little bit of a cop-out, but uh, the ultimate dream is to change culture through great art, no matter what medium it is. And I want to help be a creator in changing culture. And then I'm interested in implementing that culture change through policy.
1: My God, did, was that that sounded like my science teacher just answering <laughs> that? I think she See, had. See, there's a, my
0: pageant. My pageant's coming up. There I you
1: know, go. Like,
2: whoa, man! That was like <laughs> I'm going to give you an answer in 23 seconds. Wow. Is that you are either going to go for Congress or you're going to start a lobby group? Which one? Oh I mean, God! I think we know the answer. We know the answer, don't we? Both give of them, them kind of
0: suck, though, right? <laughs> both of them suck. They're both horrible elements to both of them. I don't know. I'm interested. I'm interested in it, but I don't know what that means. So first, first I want to be creating great art. And I also don't think I need to be monolithic. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm about to turn 29 on Thursday, so maybe I'll fucking change it all and I'll have new dreams at the age (laughs) of 29.
1: (laughs) what I'm talking about right there. Okay, so normally we ask the question in the movie of your life, who would you like to star as you? But with you, I feel like... It ha- would have to be you. So I changed the question for you. Oh,
0: but I also know who I'd want,
1: though, too. What would you want the movie of your life to be titled and why? Mm.
0: I know you didn't ask it, but Jamila Jamil, I would love for her to play me okay. because she's queen. She's amazing. And <laughs> the star of the, the movie title would be like, either not monolithic or multi-hyphen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. I could have you know what I could have even said that for you. I, I don't think I've ever even heard that multi-hyphen has ever been used on our podcast ever in forty-five <laughs> episodes. No one's ever even said that. But not leading feminists.
0: But not no, you I already said, Tom, I'm gonna have to freaking change it, okay?
2: <laughs> don't, I'm sorry. I don't All mean, right. in the meantime, I quickly Googled it, which is what Nigel said, don't do. And I oh, just don't, don't, don't look at images. Don't look at images, whatever you do. My
1: naivete is showing. <laughs> what floats your boat and what gets your goat? Uh,
0: Shit's Creek season six. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, so I'm in the process of binging I it. So I'm don't tell me. It's great. But I'm very excited.
1: What gets your goat? What upsets you?
0: Well, the fucking debates upset me, but something not <laughs> political that upsets me. Oh, you know what? Because this is happening right now. Spam calling. What Spam is both? What is it supposed to be? I thought you were supposed to have a phone and no, it. no spam. I
2: love it. I love the fact that you got so bored of the question that you decided to go check your phone and then it gave you an inspiration. Not- That's a proper artist. You're getting inspiration from everything, even a spam call. That's, Jesus, <laughs> unbelievable.
1: No, <laughs> that
0: makes me seem so horrible. Tom.
1: No, it's probably someone from Bangladeshi too, from Bangladesh, probably. Me. It, it, they're the ones who probably spam call me. I'm sure of it. <laughs> But definitely not a shrankum, that's all I can say. And, um, okay, i got a really good one for you here. Favorite food, because everyone wants to know in the world, everyone's been asking me, what is Ari's favorite food? Yeah, yeah, food?
0: yeah. Brownies and guacamole. Ooh, together? No, not together. Of course yes, not together. State, wow, that's,
1: I didn't ask for two. God, she's like, look, I can't
0: decide. You can't want sweet one, or do you want two. savory?
1: Amazing. Okay. Oh, the incredible. next question? Shaken or stirred? hmm start why not and you've stirred us up ari you are amazing <laughs> everyone has to check out Jeanette. what where can they find where what, what's the best way there is a website for Jeanette. yes there's where a website
0: uh Jeanette with two n's and two t's musical.com my website which is ari Offstar, and then you know instagram is a great way to stay connected
1: it is indeed. And you have quite an active following and you are quite brilliant on it and, and really <laughs> amazing. And, and, you, you, and you sing, you sing on your <laughs> on your Instagram. So people, if you want to hear the sort of full version without the sort of it, sure. it's cussing in the middle bit and all the rest of it, which by the way, I think our version <laughs> might actually break the internet. But nonetheless, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for shaking and stirring us up. We love you, and we will be following along and looking forward to Jeanette and everything else that you have lined up the world. Go do it.
0: Thank you guys so much.
1: Our pleasure. Lovely to see you. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe.
2: See ya.